Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 520. And this week I'm joined by Reese James, who's a comedian that I'm a fan of, who's a podcaster that I'm a fan of, who's a TV personality that I'm a fan of. So I was very excited to talk to Reese. I recently went on Reese and future guest Lloyd Griffith's podcast, Fit and Proper, which is fantastic. We talk about it a little bit at the end, but um, I strongly recommend you go and listen to that. We talk a bit about Reese's early work podcast and the kind of some of the inspiration that came early in his life. Yeah, we talk about loads of good stuff. I think you're going to love it. I bloody did. It's another one of them where we went on for like over an hour and then it was like we could have kept going for about at least another hour. Yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy it. As ever, we're brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can buy all my, my merch. We've still got a few of the limited edition sunglasses in. You know they always sell out, and we're not going to do a double drop this, this summer. When they're gone, they're gone, all right? So head over there and buy some stuff. Um, we're brought to you by patreon.com forward slash pip, where you can support the podcast for under a dollar a month, or for a dollar a month. It might be a dollar or two dollars or something, but it's cheap. And it really helps. Like, if you've listened to more than 10 episodes, it'd be really appreciated if you could sling a couple of dollars in the tip jar, essentially. And that helps, you know, pay Buddy Peace and John Harris and all the people behind the scenes, Jared, all the gang, and me, and little old me. So yeah, that's there. And head over to twitch.com forward slash Scroobius Pipio, where you can find me streaming and stuff. I've been doing DJ sets over there there lately that have been going wild. I've been jumping on the mic every now and then. And I've been doing a load of gaming. So there's loads to see over there and it's all free. So um, head over there for goodness. Let's get on with the podcast, shall we? Reese is hitting the fringe this year and his tour is going on until the end of the year, really, throughout the whole year. So... We talk about all of that, but I highly recommend you get out to a show or two because he's a funny guy. Yeah, let's get into it. This is episode 520 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Reese James. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction this piece of fiction is the intro to the Beautiful. Well, I'm joined today by Reese James. How are you, man? Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to chat. There's a lot I want to talk about career-wise and life-wise, podcast-wise, TV-wise. But as we're here now, I was just on Twitter just before uh, we started recording, and word is that that Harry Kane is going to Munich. You're a Spurs fan, right? Have I remembered that correctly? Yeah, that's our, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, now, our is the word podcast. that he's going to Munich? Or is it that he's we've received the, an offer? They've offered, yeah, yeah. They've, you've, you've received an offer. How do you feel about all of it? Because Kane, as, as, as we touched upon, in fact, when I was on Fit and Proper, Kane came and played at Millwall back in the day as a, as a real youth. Mm. And he's obviously been a game changer for you guys, but all of those players tend to then get a mixture of love and hate, a mixture of, oh, are they just overrated and we need to cash in or do they don't want to be here, right. just let them go. So how do you feel on the uh, on, on, on the Harry Kane's situation as a Spurs fan? I certainly don't think any Spurs fan feels either of those things. Right. So Good. I don't think any Spurs fan is going to say, oh, it's overrated. Yeah. 
I genuinely believe he is underrated. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, well, maybe not underrated. He's underappreciated by certainly England fans, mm-hmm. but basically English fans of other clubs. This whole trophy debate yeah. is drivel. I also don't abide this by not going to Man City, he's got no ambition debate. To me, the least ambitious thing you can do is go to Man City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're saying, I want an easy route to glory. Yeah. But that's not ambitious. Ambition is trying to win a trophy at Spurs. Yeah. That's the most ambitious. <laughs> Look up <laughs> yeah. the word ambition. Yeah. Nothing more ambitious than doing that. So I don't I don't agree with that at all. It's not ambitious to go, I'll catch, I'll, you know, I'll take an easy ride. Like going to Bayern Munich, I'm gonna win the Bundesliga if I go yeah. there straight away. Is it ambitious or is it just I'll win one of these trophies to shut everyone up? And then risk not shutting anyone up because I go, oh, it's just the German league. Who cares? So I do feel like he's underappreciated in the UK because everyone's, maybe it's social media, but everyone's got this sort of trophy obsession that means your legacy is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I think a basketball player, did, there was like a clip a while ago of a basketball player being asked, was this season a waste of time because they didn't win a trophy or something? Yeah. And he said, uh, has every year of your life been a waste of time that you haven't won a journalism award? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Because like, it's not, are you only doing this for a war? Like, what are you talking about? It's all about, we're playing the sport, we're living our dream kind of thing. And again, it's mad how sport really drives home <laughs> the bizarre idea that you're literally the best in the world or you're fucking shit. <laughs> Worthless. Like, no, your your no, legacy no, 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 is no. nothing. But I, I feel you on the under, underrated thing because I, I, I've tried to articulate this a few times about, weird comparison here, but about Beyonce. Because I think Beyonce is underrated. Because I think, obviously, she's one of the biggest acts in the world. But I wasn't into her for ages. Because it was pop, mm. pop, and it's just all show and all that kind of thing. And then in the last five or six years, I've listened to loads of Beyonce. And just some of the songwriting and craft and ability and just all of it is just astounding. So I think in that respect, she's... Un- yeah. D- despite being one of the biggest acts in history, I think... She- and she's underrated. And she's think, appreciated for being a star, yeah, right? Yeah. And like, I guess for dance and for these bangers. Yeah. But you're saying there's a bit more intricacy. There's something meticulous in there that isn't acknowledged yeah, enough. Yeah. And again, it's, yeah. it, 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 it is comparable on, on a Harry Kane type thing because he is one of these players who's, as you say, on an international level has got a lot of backlash. But then we're weird with that. Like we did that with Rooney. Always the way. So much. It always blew me away with Rooney. was like, he was... He's like a, a once in a generational or multi generational level player, and then really quickly people start being, "It's not that good, though, is he? He's not world class. He's not." So, well, then, what? oh yeah, this is what's annoying me because what? I look at people on Twitter all the time going, "Harry Kane's got nothing on Wayne Rooney," and I go, "Do you understand how you spoke about Wayne yeah, Rooney?" Yeah. Give it ten years, it'll be the next strikers coming through. Yeah. So everyone's saying, "Oh yeah, Tammy Abraham's got really good, but he's nothing compared to Harry Kane." Yeah. You go, "You didn't want yeah. Harry Kane." But yeah, he is comparable to Beyonce because they have both performed very well at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium <laughs> yes. as well in the last year. Yes. Perfect. Against all odds. But but but, <laughs> but if he is to go, because again, I've said, again, I'm not going to do the whole podcast on this, but I've, I, I literally, I saw it on Twitter before we came live and a few people were saying, if he is to go, somewhere like Munich is the best choice because it's not strengthening one of your domestic rivals. Mm-hmm. He can go off and, as you say, w- w- win trophies, get all the, the accolade, and be, you know, amongst s- some other good, you know, international high-level players, all this kind of thing. So, yeah. I won't begrudge him leaving. Yeah. I wouldn't begrudge him leaving at all. I wouldn't begrudge him going to Man United. Mm-hmm. You do what you want to do. You're a Tottenham legend. He's our top-ever goal scorer. There should be statues of the guy. He's done enough for Spurs. Mm. It's a shame 
we haven't... But the way I think a lot of Spurs fans feel about it isn't, this guy never won us a trophy. It's it's a shame that we besmirched this guy's career yeah. by not getting a trophy for him yeah. because he was pulling his weight this whole time. So I think that's the way most Spurs fans feel about it. It's certainly how I feel about it, that I wouldn't begrudge him at all. It would hurt less if he went to Bayern Munich, but I think he really wants that Premier League record and yeah. he's, it is achievable. I'd be amazed if he went... The only one that I think is that appealing is Real Madrid mm. because how can you say no to Real yeah, Madrid? Yeah, of course. I think you can say no to Bayern Munich. Mm. But also I think, you know, he's, he doesn't want to... He's got kids who are in school and I think that these are factors that people don't... Yeah. That don't come up enough. Yeah. That you go the like... Real world a whole, his whole life is yeah. there. Yeah, that you go, I can't... I mean, also, I'm sort of of the belief of like, he's just going to go on a free next year. Yeah. And again, I can't... I don't begrudge that because it's been so mismanaged that I'm like a bit like, look, if Man United want to give us 100 million, then go ahead. And the strengthening our rivals thing is a bit like, are these people still our rivals? Are these teams still really yeah. our rivals? You see, you see, I've not got any skin in the game, but I don't want him to go to United just because I'm sick of, of remakes. And, you know, right. Teddy sharing them early years at Millwall, <laughs> made his name at Spurs, <laughs> ended up at United w- w- winning trophies. I've seen it playing yeah. for England, underappreciated. It's like that means he'll come back to Spurs. Yeah. That, that would mean he eventually yeah. comes back yeah. to Spurs. Yes, I guess and that I'd be works. Up for that. <laughs> well, well, moving on on from that. Um, on this podcast, I, I keep having to explain this to PR people, but because I'm I'm getting on more and more kind of big f- film and TV show PR lists, and they're like, "Do you really need an hour to talk about their role in the bill or whatever it is?" It's obviously yeah, it's not yeah. the bill, but I was, I, was, I was close to naming some that I'm having the discussion with at the moment, which was incredibly <laughs> unprofessional. And I have to try and make it clear: no, no, no. We'll, we'll talk about the new project a bit, but we talk about whole careers and whole lives. So, mm. and they they, they struggle to get their head head around that because. Obviously, they're big PR companies and and they're not personally listening to every podcast, and that's fine. So sure. I do want to go through your basically whole life and career, but due to an episode of your early work podcast, it feels like we'll be circling a certain period of your life. So we may as well just kick things off with the period of your life when I was a massive influence on you <laughs> and just hugely impacted your 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 yeah, outlook man. and life in general. So let's talk about the uni years and... And as I said, I, I think I tweeted about it at the time. I was I tuned into that. I think because of I, I love Lolly. Lolly the phone was, was on with you, and it completely caught me off guard. And that kind of thing is always so humbling when people are going, "Oh, that album was big or or meant a big deal." Because I did have a career that wasn't exactly Beyonce, <laughs> but then you know sure. where it did hit. It's always a nice uh, moments. Uh, so yeah, not yeah. J- n- not really an ego thing. But let's talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like, yeah, that. So, so that podcast for the people who don't know yeah. was called Early Work. Yeah, and the idea was about like guests coming on and reading the sort of teenage or just childhood in general. Yeah, writing, creative Such writing. Such a good idea. Not diaries, really. Yeah. I would accept, you know, it got to a point when guests became quite hard to book. So diaries became acceptable as it went on. But it wasn't really the idea. The idea was like, you know, you wrote song lyrics yeah. as a teenager. You scribbled poetry or even drawings, yeah. which is not ideal for an audio format, yeah. but did yield some funny Instagram posts. It was like all people had all sorts of different stuff, to be honest, and all sorts of different backstories as to why they were doing it. Like lots of people did it. I, like, I, the reason I did it is because I relentlessly wrote poetry as a teenager. Yeah. And eventually it manifested in my act a little bit. And I did some spoken word in my act for a while. But I was writing so much 
so much stuff. And it was all me. What was interesting about it is when I came to look back at it, I realised that like it all sounded great. And the rhyming was dense and multisyllabic and like lots of rhymes within a line. And it all meant nothing. So clearly my focus was like, it was just piffle. I just wanted it to sound brilliant. Mate, I've, 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 I've released tracks that I look back yeah, on right. and come under that category. <laughs> there's loads I'm proud of, but there's loads I listen back and go, I just was really enjoying cool. the syllables that, 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 yeah, that day. And it it's really, cool to say, it weaves together cool and to sounds hear. fun. Yeah. But I, there was one, so like the one you're talking about, I think is, I, I read this poem to Lolly yeah. that I'd written. I can't even remember what it was, but it definitely was my version of I think it's the poem at the beginning of is it the beat that my heart skipped? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um I ain't gonna take it no more. Yeah. I ain't gonna stand idly by with a tut on a side. Yeah. That's the one. Etc. I could do I could Brilliant. do probably all of it. I love it. I um, couldn't but I'm terrible at remembering I did, my own lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> that's, again, that's the weird irony is people who are into music obviously, you know, might keep listening to it or whatever. But as the performer, since I've stopped performing, I'm not putting on my album to to, to bob yeah, my head right. to. So it's like, I've not heard any of these songs since seven or eight years. Well, you know what? So. It's the same It's the same with comedy. I remember years ago, I was in um, doing some gigs in Norway with Kerry Godleyman. Mm. And we got there and we thought we were just doing 20 minutes or whatever. And when we got there, it was like, no, no, you both need, you need to do like 45 minutes each or something. And we were both not, I was quite new anyway. Mm. And Kerry wasn't in the middle of a tour. So kind of just, you know, didn't have like a to, to head, just yeah. like I could just do an hour quite easily. Yeah. And this guy then left the room and me and Kerry looked at each other like, oh my God. And then Kerry was like, obviously I've done 10 hours of comedy. Yeah. But it just le- it just goes straight away. You just like, I don't, I'd have to revise it. And recently I did this show called The Great American Joke Off, which is like, has mock the week elements to it and was for American TV or whatever. But there's lots of rounds in that that were things like, it was just called like, you know what annoys me. And then you just bring up some stuff. And really it's just a way to get some good material of, you know, something you're ranting about yeah. in. And I was like listening back to old kind of shows of mine to remember what annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> to be like, what do I What do I have jokes about? I can't remember any of it. I was going to say... As soon as the show's over, it's just gone. I can imagine in that moment, both you, you, you and Kerry could easily have done an hour of other comedians' material. Yeah. Because it's weird how that just sticks with you. Someone out a comedy yeah. set that's really influenced you or someone you've toured with or whatever else. I've got that down. But my own material, no, I wasn't paying exactly. attention to that. I was busy thinking, people sometimes say to you, am I like, saying this right? Am I in the spotlight? Is this working? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People will say, oh, I love when you, I used to love that joke you do about this. And also people remember it differently, what the topic of the joke is yeah, to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they yeah. say, oh, you had that great joke about cheese. And I'll be like, well, I've never had a joke about cheese. Yeah. And you go, oh, no, that was that was a joke about Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. It just had cheese, cheese in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, or something like that, you know, so... I completely agree with you on yeah. that. But yeah, we I think me and Lolly discussed it because I had that poem that was I can't even remember what my there you go, perfect example. I can't remember what mine was. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. know the the one of yours that it was ripping <laughs> yeah. off. But it was all about it definitely had the line a local branch to lend from or a mastercard to spend on. Yeah. And uh I was quite happy rhyming wise, but really it was like what are you talking about? You're 17. And then I, I remember in the podcast saying to Lolly <laughs> To be fair, I was 17. And she went, yeah, Billie Eilish is 17. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great a great counterpoint. And again, the thing I loved about, like, I, I listened to a fair few episodes of early work and it would make me laugh because I'd think, oh man, I never had anything like this. And then my mum will clear something out and it will turn out I do mm. have loads of stuff like this. Or my mate Chris was clearing out his mum's house recently and he found a rhyme book that the two of us had and some rhymes that, that, that we'd 
written together. And he sent me a screenshot. I read it. I laughed. And I genuinely deleted the screenshot off of my WhatsApp because it was so offensive that I never... Like, like it was such... (laughs) It was bad and just... It was kind of teenage trying to be edgy. It was just horrific stuff. I was like, right, I'm I'm disappointed that we ever wrote this. I don't want anyone to ever... (laughs) Hear anything but it's about fun, this. isn't it? I but mean, again, in my head, I'm like, no, it. I've never, I kind of, in my head, the first thing I ever wrote was a thousand words and that got released and then I had a career and everything I wrote after that yeah. was on an album. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's all killer. And then <laughs> it turns out not. Turns out that's not the case. Exactly. I mean, we all want to believe that. Yeah. Even you look back on the notes of like the early previews you do or the early work in progress you do of a show, even now, they're all on this desk that I'm sat at now, like up until about two days ago. And then I threw everything away yeah. because you have a sort of thing in your head of like, no, there might be something in that I can use it later on. Yeah. And then I was just reading it going, no, remember you did do it for six months and it just worked the first time because you had excitement in your eyes and it just got less funny and less funny every week yeah. until you eventually just said, oh, I'll do something else. And then I, I always really liked that part of the comedy process. And I sort of thought it's a bit, I found it a bit inside baseball and boring to do a podcast about that, about rejected comedy yeah, ideas. Yeah, yeah, I found yeah. that a bit like, I ah, still part of a process I'm currently doing. And you don't have any of the emotional attachment of what it's like to be angst-ridden going through puberty and being young. And- yeah, and, and you'd be at the risk of the fragility of egos. So you sure. would end up having some comedians bringing stuff on that is actually still really good and just being like, this yeah, is something like, I never use. This was embarrassing. I didn't even use this. It's so cringe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, this is amazing. I always remember going to see a, 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 one of Ramesh's works in progress and it was like a fucking Palladium show. It was the most polished mm. work in progress I've ever seen. And then chatting to him afterwards, he's like, yeah, this isn't working. And he's like, that was your working like this. It felt like a Netflix yeah. flick show, but yeah, exactly. He's there going, you know, it's, yeah. Get ready. It's a bit rough around the edges. <laughs> Infuriating. Yeah. Whereas at least you can go. It just felt like a fun prompt to be like, you listen to someone read something, and then you can go. And what was going on yeah. there at that time of yeah. your life? Who is the boy that was about? Yeah. And why did he? How did he break your heart? Yeah. And da da da. And also just being able to look back and be like, wasn't I silly to? care so much about this thing yeah. and then anecdotes came off the back of it and it was always really good fun and everyone had such different stuff that was what was great about it like Maisie Adam came on and had all these poems that she, I think she wrote when she was about nine but you know wasn't writing them in the same way I was which was like I was heartbroken all the time as a teenager and I was angst ridden and this was how I expressed it and all my heroes were doing this or I thought they were doing this so I was writing poetry and like locking myself away she was selling them so she was just she would just Hustling. get commissions to say you want to ask someone out, you're nine, you want to ask out Danny, give me 50p, I'll write you a poem that you can say to ask him out. And then so she would just instantly monetize it and was doing it for that reason. No heart in it, no soul in it. It didn't mean anything to her. It was a business from day one. And it was always interesting to me that everyone had a different motivation for doing this sort of I've stuff. I've got the ability to pay me for it. I, I love those yeah. kind of looking back at who you, you were then. I did a spin-off podcast called Tell Me About It, which was just with my mate Stu Whiffin, and we just picked different periods of my life to kind of deep dive into so it's it's only for the absolute nerds who uh, have any interest in me but it was really funny when we were going through all the music and it was all heartbreak angst ridden pop punk yeah and I realized that the kid at that time was listening to that music aspirationally (laughs) Like, I wished right. I was heartbroken. I yeah. wished I'd met a girl because I went to an all-boys school. So I'm I'm a teen l- listening to all these love songs, having never 
all these heartbreak songs having never had my heart broken and just thinking, oh man, <laughs> I, wish, yeah. I wish I'd got to that point. Let, let you know, it, that remi- it reminds me of two things. Walking to primary school once, primary school this is, so I'm at most 10 yeah. with my mate James who said to me, I remember him saying to me, you're really weird. And I said, why? And he said, I've just been thinking about it loads. Last week we were walking to school and you said to me, ah, oh, I wish I fancied someone. <laughs> I, just, I wasn't even yearning for someone. I was yearning, yearning to for yearn. the yearning of someone. Yeah. And then the other one is, um, I, love it. I think I went on, uh, th- th- right, this is what a precocious little twat I was. Went on holiday with my family once and I, I think I was about 12 when this happened. And I read, the book I read on holiday at 12 was um, a book of all of Jeremy Clarkson's columns <laughs> put into... Oh, like wow. I didn't know they were columns. It was just like little essay book, yeah. basically. I've always been really into essay, funny essay yeah. books. And Clarkson wasn't yet. We didn't know yeah. what the opinion yeah. to have on Clarkson, Clarkson was. Clarkson was f- frivolous fun back then. <laughs> he was frivolous fun. He hadn't yet gone mad. <laughs> he wasn't upset about lacks of stakes just yet and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. He just he was complaining a lot about the French and um, cyclists. Yeah. But I was twelve, so I didn't really know yeah. what he was talking about. Yeah. Anyway, I remember reading that, and in fact, the whole book is complaining about stuff. And then on the holiday, I wrote an essay sort of article of my own about how I... But the thing I was complaining about was about how I didn't have anything to complain about and how annoying it was that my parents had made everything so good for me and my life was so sort of perfect and ideal. And I remember it got sent to my granddad. And the next time I saw my granddad, he was like... He basically showed me this article I'd written and was like, this is a disgrace. <laughs> like, you don't... He worked in mines, this yeah. guy. And he was like, you're an absolute disgrace. Your struggle is the absence of struggle. <laughs> yeah. And that ended up being a quite a... a fa- it ended up being an inverted commas famous routine of mine, only because it was like the, fir- the only one really to go viral, is a thing about... It was ages ago, years and years ago, before this was canon, about the real struggle of being a straight white man is having no art to put into the world, basically, because art comes from pain. And I think the joke I would say was, first time I even saw the word pain was in a patisserie or something (laughs) crap like that. And um, it was just just released by the BBC. I did it on Motley Week and it came out on the BBC Facebook page at a certain time in history, in social chat that seemed to chime and it went viral. And then if you read the comments which I did once, it was all just people saying, this guy is a traitor to his race. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he, it was stuff like that. This guy doesn't deserve to be what? It was mad stuff people would say. I love it. And I just found it very amusing, but my God. I was in France uh, r- recently and I'd been having a bit of a rough, r- rough time. I'd had some heartbreak. And when you're on holiday anyway, you pig out a lot. And I went past a bakery called Sugar and Pain or Sucre et Pain, which is just great, sugar and bread. And I was great, just like, this great. is it. This, this is yeah. my slogan for now. That's, what a great album Sugar and Pain. Well. Sugar, and, <laughs> sugar and Pain. <laughs> Crack me up. So, so, oh, uh, so good. when you were past the essay writing period of your youth that we all go through... <laughs> That, mm. that typical adolescent essay writing. Essays on period. holiday. Essays on yeah, holiday. Yeah, what I did, I got to 12. Yeah. And I just wrote essays on holiday for a bit. <laughs> so, so, so was comedy always a goal, always an appeal? Was poetry a, a genuine goal, a genuine appeal? What were you kind of striving to, uh, to do in your kind of yeah. years that you're trying to figure all that stuff out? 
Well, that's what's embarrassing about it is that a lot of the poems I end up reading on early work mm-hmm. are from after I had started doing stand-up. Right. And that really should be the cut-off <laughs> point for self-awareness. Um, but it wasn't. But and then I then I did incorporate comedy spoken word into shows. First, my first three or four shows, mm. I think, incorporated three or four like hour-long different shows in Edinburgh, incorporated those sorts of things. But mainly they were just like lists of rhyming jokes. Or there was one I did on a theme where I was like a laddie guy and then I was a posh guy having an argument back and forth that all rhymed. And I would step into the different coloured lights. And at the time, it was influenced by two things. Bo Burnham's left brain, right brain uh, thing he did. Staging-wise, it was just a direct copy of that. And then is it the street song? The irony of yeah, it all, yeah, yeah, yeah. very similar <laughs> yes. to the irony of it all. Yeah. So she said um, that, I was like, "Yep, all right." <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that. It sounds like a thing that exists and is um, highly praised. Yeah, um, yeah. It wasn't about alcohol versus yeah, weed. Yeah, it was yeah, more yeah, just yeah. Like it yeah. was, yeah, about lad Bible and all that shit. But um, I did those sorts of things. So eventually, you know, it did come together. Yeah. But in terms of comedy and wanting to do comedy, it was like I, I was probably like fifteen, and I was just a big like Jimmy Carr fan. Loved Frankie Boyle. Mm-hmm. Loved. Dimitri Martin, yeah, uh, people like that. I'm really into Dimitri Martin and stuff like that. And I sort of had Dimitri in my head, Martin isn't isn't enough spoken about over here. Just as a as a gag no, writer, not well known. just next yeah. level. I remember having his his DVD was a, came in like a CD case or something. His his first one, it was like a double CD case DVD, yeah. and just all of his everything was just flawlessly written. I remember obsessing over Dimitri Martin and Anthony Jeselnik as the two who yeah. could just write jokes with Definitely. not an ounce Jesnick of fat. Later just not an ounce of fat me, on them, yeah. just these perfect, you're in and out. And it's, yeah. weirdly, it's, I mean, it, it, it's something we'll get to because writers like that influenced or came into their own when Twitter came about because tweets are about mm. stripping down all of the, like, it's not like a stand-up routine where you're going to be able to tell this whole story and give context and all this. It's stripping everything away to get yeah. into this as few words as possible. Oh, and that was Twitter. the kind of comedy that Dimitri Martin and and, and Jeselnik were so good at. When I um, was like sort of starting out-ish, coming up, yeah. but not starting out so brand new, I'm doing open mics, but now I'm getting into maybe doing my first hour yeah. or stuff like that. So you're four years in-ish. We would get mocked. Me and my mate and writing partner, Adam Hess, would get mocked mm-hmm. because we would be, we were the Twitter guys. Yeah, it's, so it's we where I first saw both gags. of you. Like Adam Hess, I went and, and caught his fringe show Purely off of because you saw the funny I loved, tweets. I, yeah, I loved his tweets, and that was that's the first time. So it was a massive. It helped us like that, and it's a bit like you know. Sometimes you you don't have conversations about this, but you think about how like there certainly are conversations in dressing rooms these days about how like oh you know this young generation of comics they don't bother going in and putting in the hard yards mm. doing the Edinburghs they just get big on TikTok and then sell loads of tickets. Then you go yeah great wouldn't you have done that? Yeah. What am I, I've slept in train stations. If I didn't have to do that because yeah. I could do a TikTok, that'd be fucking ideal. Again, what I bang about? on about it all the time, but what, one of the biggest problems with British society and American, all kind of Western society, is that we built a society where it's genuinely agreed that if you don't hate what you do, then you're not really working hard enough or you're not, you know what I mean? Yeah. If, and if, no one if you enjoy is allowed doing to anything have... or if it comes easy, it's like, no, this should be celebrated. This should be exciting. Yeah, exactly. And Where's no one wants anyone to have anything that they didn't have. Yeah. It's mad because everyone talks about, I want my kids to have a life that I didn't have. Yeah. And then you go, what if it's someone your kid's age, but you don't know them? No. Yeah. No, yeah. they can't have anything yeah. I didn't have. Yeah. yeah. Not <laughs> um, them. But yeah, so for example, we, we like Twitter got us an audience, which mm. is great. So like you say, you went to see Adam because of it. I had loads of people who would come and see my shows because I had these followers. But we would get like kind of mocked, you know, light, lightheartedly by mates in comedy who'd be like, 
anything that happened, it'd be like, oh, are you going to do a tweet about it or whatever? Mm. And or it's like, oh, yeah, well, of course you're selling tickets. You've got Twitter. So that was us. That's why I don't begrudge any of the sort of yeah. people doing TikTok TikToks guys, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And also because I'm desperately trying to do the TikToks as well. I'm just not as <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so that's what it really is. Yeah. It's a fear of aging is where it yeah, comes from. Yeah. But the main thing Twitter got, because obviously Twitter did change my life. It mm. made me sell tickets early on. It changed the way, me and Adam talk about this all the time. It changed the way we write undeniably. Yeah. We got so much better. Yeah. It, one of the things that we both sort of pride ourselves on is word economy mm. and efficiency of writing and jokes and how I really like to make a show as tight as possible and as gag-filled as possible, but they're sort of a bit hidden. But all of that came from any idea I'm trying to get across has to have been got across with a punchline in 140 characters mm -hmm. because that was the yeah. main platform yeah. I was using yeah. at the time. And it just made me such a better writer for it. And it's such a shame what Twitter now is. Yeah, I completely agree. Which is just a horrible opinion platform that is now as many characters as you want. Yeah. If you pay for the blue tick or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like not what this was. It's not what it ever was about. I completely agree. Twitter w was the one that made me f fall in love with social media. And yeah, it's also the one that's killed off any passion I have for social media at all. Just, yeah. just speaking of, of the word economy, me and Simon Pegg have warmly argued over who which one of us was the first to, to post this because I posted it on Facebook back in the day so I think I beat him but my most popular tweet that I used to do every year and this year it was the first time I didn't do it because I'm just off of, of Twitter was simply happy happy Father's Day motherfuckers and it's an absolute Great. economy of words Great. there's nothing there's there's yeah. no fat on it at all Perfect. bang See you later. And yeah, there was a point where every time Simon tweeted it each year, he'd have people saying, you've nicked that from Pip. Every time I tweeted it, so you nicked <laughs> that from Peg. So the last time, or one of the times he was on the podcast, we did sit down and try and see who came up with it first, even though, oh, really? even though we came up with it independently. It's like, right, yeah, but granted it was independent, but who came up with it independently first? <laughs> well, that was one of the only toxic things about Twitter when it was fun, is the time stamping of, the amount of screen grabs of like, or DMs of like, um, it, actually, um, I had this idea six months ago when you didn't follow me. I had a few of them, man. I'd, 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 I'd tweet something and someone would say, um, at, at, at least give cr credit, mate. And it's like, I'm tweeting about something that's just happened in the news. But yeah. someone yeah. happened to have seen the news or been on a different time zone and come up with the same tweet yeah. an hour earlier. It's, it's yeah. like, mate. It's insane. Just independent ideas of fine. Again, it's why... I'm, me and Simon have joked about it so much because it's like, it's not that clever a joke. <laughs> like, well, does, yeah, also, like, it just truly It's three doesn't words matter, and it's it? really easy. So it's like, I'm yeah. pretty sure no one stole it off anyone. It wasn't a eureka moment. It was a fucking tweet. <laughs> um, Copywriting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, motherfuckers. And that's your legacy, <laughs> yeah. is going to the patent office. Yeah. I've got this tweet. I don't want anyone else doing it. Even if they've been in hot files and wrote it, is, this is my tweet. Here's my proof. Is my screenshot of the first one I did. <laughs> Weirdly, I've got an annual Mother's Day tweet I do every yeah. year that I now have to introduce by saying it is now time for my annual Mother's Day tweet yeah. so that it makes it an event and not an eye-rolly thing. Yeah. Where everyone replies going, yeah, we've seen this. They then go, oh, it's the... T and that is just every Mother's Day, I'll just wait till a halfway through the day and then tweet, why is everyone posting photos of their sister today <laughs> with a little winky face? Every year. And every year I get 100 replies just saying smooth. And it's become a, just like a tradition Genius. on my social media. I love it. That's exactly what's happened with my father's day joke. Like this year, when I decided I wasn't going to post it just because I'm sick of Twitter, I did sneak on and see how many people were tweeting going, 
Has Pip, has Pip done his tweet Where's yet? The tweet? Has Pip done his tweet? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> the demand's still there. I'll take it. I still get that hit. <laughs> well, I mean, the, there's an interesting thing I want to discuss here. It's a bit of a tangent that's inspired by the brief l- line of your poem that you gave then about the bank cards and all that. I want to kind of oh, yeah. talk to you a little bit because it's something that's always fascinated me and it is something that really hit... It's it's mainly hit the spoken word world and the comedy world, but it's advertising and adverts and all these things because they're a sure way to make a load of money early on, but they're also possibly mm. a way to, to ruin your career. They're possibly a way to make a load of money and no one will remember it. Like the story I always have is just after Thou Shouted came out, I got approached to do a Virgin Media advert. And and they kind of said, look, it's it's kind of based on Thou Shout and the revolution will not be, be televised. Bear in mind, the last person to do the advert was Uma Thurman. And next up, they're hitting up Scroobius Pip at home in my mum's house in, in Stamfordly Hope. Yeah. And they said all of this and I'm like, look, no, I'm an artist. It's not right for me, blah, blah, blah. And then they said, are we, are we were thinking around 150 grand. And I was like, well, if it's based on my... <laughs> If it's based on my piece, then maybe I can make that work. And I was kind of, yeah, I was lured in massively then. I didn't end wow. up doing it. It didn't come through. They ended up going with Samuel L. Jackson. Obviously a better choice. But yeah, what's your kind of view on that? And have what you, a, what, Sorry, but what a final two. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the best part is what I was... What a final two to get down I to. I was cooking... I remember it so clearly. I was cooking bacon in my kitchen, still living at my mum's house. And I heard an advert in the living room and thought... I know these words, but because I did like do a read for it yeah. and all that kind of thing. I was like, I know this, but, but it's not me. And then I went and looked and it was Samuel L. Jackson. And by the way, you've got a story now for the rest of your life yeah. that is Virgin Media couldn't get me, so they went to Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, S- second choice. Yeah, yeah. I Samuel, oh, we'll have to use it. We have to use Samuel L. in the end. But yeah, That's I, a shame. I, I know that particularly early days, comedians are always hit up for adverts, for little roles in adverts, mm. for, for for yeah, all those moments. And it's such a weird, yeah, it's a weird balance. So what's your views on that? Have you had any that you've kind of gone with or haven't done or turned away? Look, if you're asking me, do I think comedians can advertise products? Kazoo, yeah, you can. But <laughs> I, <laughs> personally, um, personally, I... Uh, Early on, yeah, I'd go. You'd go for all those advert castings early uh, just on. Just quickly, like... I I tried to to start a rumor, but but I went for it that, that, that when Ed got married, it was like remember when Anthea Turner got married, <laughs> and it was sponsored by Flake. I I I, yeah. I set a rumor. I tried to get a rumor going that he had to say Kazoo yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> Kazoo yeah, I do. That would have been so good. He oh my god, for it. he should have done that anyway, just for the, just for the bands. But... Yeah. Or at least Charlie should have yeah, done it yeah. instead to wind <laughs> him up, to ruin the day. Um, do you take yeah, a I, Kazoo, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. It would have killed. I mean, it would have killed. It would have. God, what a guaranteed applause break that yeah. is. Yeah, I early on, you get sent for all these advert castings mm. and also just like, you kind of don't feel that weird about it early on because everyone in an advert is a new comedian. Yeah. So like all your peers that you're starting out with doing open mics or doing, you know, Unpaid ten minutes in places is in an advert. Because so that's the thing. Go, oh, as, like, as a, as a, I was on a bill with him last week. As an audience, as a fan, 
because they're not famous as comedians yet, and those adverts you forget in an instant, 90% of yeah. time it makes no negative impact. Like, you 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 may overthink so think it in your head, but it makes no negative impact because there's probably loads of comedians. It's when you're a name that you've got to worry yeah. about it. It's yeah. when you have a, yeah, a brand it. to protect <laughs> that you've got to worry about it. Yeah, but then again, voiceover, I think. No, it's a different you, when you get a voiceover together. agent, they, yeah. they send you a list. They say, here's a list of all the different products. Let me know any type of genre of product you don't want to advertise. Yeah. And I say, I'll advertise guns. Yeah. Bring it's voice. On. I don't it's give voice. a shit. Yeah, completely. Use an AI version of it as well. Who cares? Yeah. Um, <laughs> just give me the money. Who gives a shit? Anyway, uh, but early on, I did get, um, I had like a close call, uh, which you don't realize at the time, but it was for a Coke Zero advert when they were launching Coke Zero. Mm-hmm. And I really nearly got this advert. And I knew, I went, I did so many recalls for it and all sorts of proper screen tests for it. See, they're the mad things as, as well. The amount of times, yeah. you, like you... It'll be something that you don't particularly want to do, but they'll make you try exactly. really hard to do it. It's like, fuck off, man. I hate money. Yeah, but I but the, <laughs> the amount I was going in and meeting all the different team members across Europe and all that wow. sort of stuff. I wasn't going to Europe, but all these people were coming in. I was like, it, this is at, at least final five. Yeah. And I think it's probably, they the way it went, it was like, I think I did get penciled for it. So it was going to be me. And then the, their first choice became available. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. in a sort of like Scroobius Pippa said, yeah, yeah, Samuel, you're out type <laughs> yeah, situation. yeah. <laughs> and it was this advert, though, that it was, um, it's set in the cinema. Mm-hmm. So it's on on telly. Right. But it's set in the cinema. Someone goes up, buys, says, can I have a Coke? And this guy who works in the cinema, which would be me, goes, yeah, here you go. Gives him a Coke or whatever. And then they go and sit in the cinema, this family. And then this guy comes on screen again, who just served you and goes, hi, it's me, the guy who just served you out there. Um, You know how you ask for a Coke and you've been sipping it and enjoying it? Yeah, well, actually. And then he pulls a Coke Zero cup out of the Coke and goes, it was a delicious Coke Zero. Same great taste, zero sugar. Like so much so, you don't even notice. And the backlash over this man, bear in mind this man did not write the advert, he was just an actor, and it would have been yeah. me. He didn't... Within 10 it seconds... It wasn't him that really first, did that. It wasn't... He didn't really do it. It was just a bit of act, it was just fake, and it probably wasn't even Coke Zero. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, there was nothing, it was water in there probably. Yeah. There, there was a Twitter account immediately set up called Coke Zero Wanker. Amazing. This is in the fun days of Twitter. Yeah. And it was this just this account was just saying, oh, you know that thing you think is good. Actually, it's I've secretly changed it for Coke Zero. It'd just be everything. We'd just be I'll change it for Coke Zero. I remember Rob Beckett tweeting saying, if someone did this to me, I'd be so fucking angry. You know, it was like I would go absolutely crazy or whatever. I don't know if he said he would hit yeah, it or something, yeah. but it felt like it was some sort of joke along those lines. And I was just reading all of this, thinking, oh my god, that this could have been, been me. me. Sure, I'd have had seventy thousand pounds. Yeah. But this could have been me. And I thought at the time, oh, thank God I wasn't in that advert because that would be for the best. Looking back, I'm like, right, not only would I have had £70,000, I'd have had 10 minutes of material. Yeah, a really good bit of material. I'm I'm that guy. Great bit. Show the clip. The way I could have used it. I was so green and new at the time, I wouldn't have known how to use it. But now, oh, God, would I be using that? It's weird how it can all work, isn't it? Like, again, I'm thinking of more and more examples here of people I've seen at Edinburgh off the back of, like... Virgin Media, it, yeah, it was Virgin Media again, I think, or Virgin something, Vampire, J- John Pointing, who I, I, I wasn't familiar mm. with at all at the time, but I fucking adored that little vampire character. I thought something about him was so right. endearing and engaging <laughs> that I'm like, who is this guy? And then I saw his poster at the Fringe, I was like, it's the fucking vampire I'm yeah, like. Yeah. I'm going to get in any show, it's, it's completely weird. different from that, but it was an amazing show, really good comedian. Yeah. It's 50-50 though, I think, because like I was also, we, my generation of comics were also really hyper aware of it because we were friends with Eric Lampere. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever came across Eric Lampere or are so. familiar with him, but he did an advert years ago. He was a great sort of freewheeling, improv comic, does a lot more acting now, but he 
was really good. It was just great to watch on stage. So much fun. But he did this advert for MTV Viva, right. I think it was called. And the advert was Up Your Viva. And he would just go into places and have to just be like, Up Your Viva, like that. And he has a very distinctive face. And people on the internet weren't taking kindly to both his face and the manner in which he would like burst into a men's toilet in the advert and yeah, scream yeah, up your beaver yeah, behind yeah. someone going for a wee or whatever. And he got death threats and loads of abuse. And then every time he walked on stage for the next... He was so recognisable. Every time he walked on stage for the next year, he would just get up your beaver, up your beaver, and all that sort of stuff. And that was... Because we all saw that. I think a lot of us switched off from the idea of doing those sorts of and adverts. And that's killer if you're kind of open mic kind of... Yeah, or, or open Look, authority spots, just gone least. straight it's, away. Yeah, it's it's different if it's if you're doing your tour and you're in control, but that's going to be people who aren't expecting to see you and suddenly go, oh, oh, it's the up your Viva guy, him. yeah, and and also you're thinking in the back of your mind, well, most people who know that advert hate me, so you're not thinking yeah. they're saying it for a bit of fun. Yeah, going, oh, that's the bloke from the Crunchy Nut advert. They're going, you're hearing it as, because you're now insecure about it. If you've been on the internet, you're going, oh, they fucking hate me. This is going to be awful. You're on the back foot straight away. So we were all a bit stung by that. And then quite early on, I was like, I remember sort of being like, don't put me forward for any acting advert roles, but I'll have the conversation if it's like, I'm me. Mm -hmm. And so obviously that was a bit premature because you get those at sort of Rob Brydon's level. Yeah. It's like, do you want to be the face of P&O Cruises? Yeah, Whereas yeah. I'm going, yeah, let me know. Let me know. But these days it's different. It's all, brand, it's all brand deals on Instagram and stuff instead, isn't it, these days, yeah. really? Yeah. And, you know, I'll do those. Yeah, all the, over that. If, if the money's right. <laughs> but it's it's so weird. It's like the journey of social media is such a weird one because because that was the early days of social media as well. Like, I'm, I'm sure, I, I'm, I, I can't remember which advert, but I'm sure there was an advert where I was tweeting saying like, that guy in it is fucking the most annoying cunt yeah. in the world. It's like, yeah. why am I expressing this? What is this adding to the world that's right. of, yeah, of yeah, any yeah. worth? Why am I getting angry? <laughs> and again, it's completely just say, I'm a grown-up. I know that it's an actor. I know that it's not. But it's, yeah, it's so weird to yeah. throw that Actually, out Actually, you know what that reminds me of is a lyric of yours, mm-hmm. which has been in my head ever since I heard it. And I try to do this. I, I fail often, but yeah. sometimes I do succeed, which is, I might not be getting this exact, but it's something like, how hard is it to just decide to be in a good mood? Yeah. And yeah. then be in a good mood. What's, yeah. what's that from? What song That's is that exactly from? exactly it. It's from, it's from waiting for the beat to kick in. And that song is actually me talking about what different film characters have genuinely influenced my life. So, so that's mm. actually a quote from Say Anything. Uh, ah. The John Cusack film, his sister says it to him. And again, it's an amazing one. And it, as with everything, almost every lyric I've ever written, even if I've got pride in it, I do have to have the caveat that this is a, a song, it's not an essay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, it's You're not, not on holiday at 12 sim- years old. Yeah, exactly. It's not <laughs> quite as simple as that, but it also can be a lot of the time. Like, there's a lot of times where you can go, oh, no, actually, I'm going to decide n- not to be down today or not to be in this way and things like that. And again, obviously depression, all sorts of mental health issues. It's not as simple, but it will surprise you how often that can work. Literally this morning, I was at, I was on TikTok and uh, this guy, this thing came up that was this couple talking about how, so we're getting, they're like on a podcast, said, so we're getting divorced. And the woman says, and you're, you're fat, like the fans have started to notice, they started to say stuff about it to you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And people started to know, know what I did. And then obviously I'm immediately looking at the comments to go, oh, what did he do? 
Yeah. And then I was finding it. I was just like gradually finding out. And then you had to click a link to find out this thing, him, him explaining it. And he was taking too long to kind of get to it. And I was really going like, come on, I want to know. And then I thought, I don't know who these people are. What am I doing? Yeah. yeah. I don't care about this. And I sort of yeah, just, you just have a word with yourself to go, Reese. you don't care. Even when I get the answer, it will still be like, oh, right. And then you just move on with your life. So why don't you save yourself five minutes and yeah. continue not caring out loud about these people you hadn't heard of? It's addictive though, isn't it? Because it's it's the format of it. If it was just there, yeah. here's what I did. But it's because you go into comments and someone's going, of course, we all know. And someone else is going, what was it? And you're having to keep digging and, yeah, and yeah. pull away all these different it's layers. it's the investigation, isn't it, that's appealing. Get to it. It's like, no, I need to know now. Whereas if it was just, here's a post, hello, I did this. You'd be like, all right, on to the next one. I don't know who this, this prick is, but... It's also pretty obvious he, what he did. He probably just cheated on her, right? Yeah, That's imagine. generally it. Yeah, that tends to yeah. be the case. So just assume that and then just go, all and, right. And move on. on with your life. Yeah. So, I, I mean, this ties into all of it, I guess, because how was it when you started to do more TV? And Mock the Week is the one that I saw you on the most and and uh, mm. uh, and that comes to mind. How is it when you go from being, like, how does it affect your live shows and your ticket sales? Because I know a lot of these things you kind of expect. Now I'm a regular on this show, ticket sales will go through the roof. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But equally, when you're on something that even leans towards a more mainstream show, it means all those people who want to say, look at this prick, are going to bother saying it. Whereas normally they wouldn't. (laughs) Because, you know. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so how was that? I would say 90% positive. Yeah. There are definitely some comics who have a well, you know, I was on this and then the wrong people were coming to my shows type mm-hmm. of thing. I never really found that and I'm still not finding it now. I mean, Mock of the Week is the one I was on the most and it's the one I'm most known for. So I still say most of the people come to, come to my tours can know me from yeah. that and come because of that. But my style on that show, I worked really hard. Gradually, you get more confident, but by certainly by the end when I was on it regularly, to make my style on the show the same as my style as an yeah. act, basically. The only thing it lacks sometimes is people come and they go, oh, I thought your show would be darker. Right. And I'd be like, why? And they'd be like, you're really dark on Mock of the Week. And I'd be like, am I? All right. I just... <laughs> the, I the news was dark, no my idea. friend. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's right, not yeah my, exactly, The world yeah. is dark, not I. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I spoke to John Kearns about it? this, how mad it must be to tour after Taskmaster for the simple fact mm. he didn't wear the glasses and teeth. Well, he exactly. So that's an example of someone in a very different position. So to it's me like a big difference he, straight off as soon as they walk in the door. Yeah, yeah, very different style to on that show. Whereas weirdly, I think it's it sits together okay though. Like like like, like there was enough. I thought before it aired, I thought it was going to be a bigger struggle. But there's just there's enough in John that is weird. It's weird enough that he doesn't need a wig and teeth and glasses. Where where he's, where he's lucky is that Taskmaster is all about being like a kid mm-hmm. again. And John's act, there's a lot of yeah, that in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of sort of childlike wonderment and curiosity about the world yeah. in there. There's also a great deal of sage wisdom yep. in there. But it all comes from this sort of quite childlike, innocent place. And that kind of is the playful, how Taskmaster's playful and how John was on Taskmaster. So I watched it last week, John's yeah. show. And he obviously addresses the Taskmaster thing at the top. But I did sit there thinking, I don't think this is the leap that you'd be worried yeah, about. I understand yeah. being worried about it if you are him. But I was like, this isn't a million miles away. I reckon what you have in your head is, this is a show where some of the most mainstream successful comedians go on. And so everyone's going to expect me to be like yeah. that. But as long as you're yourself on the show, 
then I think you're sort of all right. It's but yeah, the Wigan the teeth is obviously a best, surprise. Isn't it? Yeah. But he addresses the Wigan teeth at length, so it's Great. sort of fine, isn't it? I saw the show he did before he went on. I've not seen his new one. And he was just perplexed. Like, I'm fucked. Yeah. <laughs> of course I'm not, course I'm not going to wear all this stuff. I'm not mental, but yeah. But yeah, so oh, it's, it's the positive effects then for you on Mock the Week, really. Yeah, there were there are things that came out of it. So actually, when we started out, this was actually in hindsight, again, it's one of those things that turns out was quite useful. One of the first TV things I did, like he did these sort of like little panel show things, ones that didn't last that long, like Sweat the Small Stuff was one, the Virtually Famous, I think like BBC Three, very sort of smaller scale panel shows or just smaller audience panel shows. And that was quite good to dip a toe in the format and go, okay, here's how you get a word in and all that. That's how it started. And then we did this show called At Eleven-ish, which was an ITV2 sketch show with loads of like newer, younger acts. Yeah. And there was like a core cast who would like did these writers' room sketches in amongst. Then just like it would just cut off to what whoever did a sketch that week. And that was like me and Lolly and Tash Dimitriou, yeah. Dane Baptiste and Bobby Mayer were in that collective. Yeah. In hindsight, all as individuals, very great, and everyone gets on. Everyone's great on stage. Got a great act. Knows about comedy. Knows what they want to do. Not a group that mixed amazingly for the sorts of comedy we, we wanted to do in those writer's room sketches. That's some some very strong individual styles and voices there, yeah. Exactly. And it didn't... I don't know that it was the best casting for that. Mm. So, and I think we would all say that. Yeah. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn there yeah. to say, we struggled with those bits and to find a way around that and those bits. Also with the fact that the, the process of making those bits would be we'd come in at 6am on a Monday morning, write it for an hour and then film it for an hour. Yeah. And so everyone was just furious and knackered and couldn't be bothered. So it would always be first thing Monday morning, those ones. But then the rest of it was just do whatever sketches you want sort of thing. It was just very small team, massive cast. Yeah. So it was very hard to manage. But it was quite, it basically, it had a lot of good elements and some not so good elements. But it was a classic first series of a show like that, mm. where you can then zone in, hone it, and go, we want more of that, less of that. And I think needed the American system of having a showrunner yeah, yeah, specifically yeah, yeah. who's in charge. We never do that over here, but that was exactly the sort of show that just needed reining in a bit. It just needed someone. Yeah. And it actually, you know what needed someone going, that didn't work and that did. Yeah. Because we didn't have a fucking clue. Yeah. There was no audience or anything. Yeah. And it was just we'll make these sketches. Vo- voice to go, here's what's... Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And the director was too busy constantly shooting stuff. So yeah. we didn't really get that, which is fine, but we we're all new. And what we got from it though, is every week when our show would go out, it would be the only day of the week at 9 or 10 p.m. on ITV2 when Family Guy wasn't on. And so we got, every week, lots of dog avatars on Twitter screaming at us for replacing Family Guy. For not being Where's Family, family Guy? Guy? This is shit. I hate this shit so much. This is, this is rubbish. Going mad at us. Oh, man. So, just like relentlessly. We got all this abuse. And it was quite fun. I mean, I think we found it... I think some of us found it quite hard at first and then it was quite fun to come in the next day going, did you see this one? Yeah. <laughs> and then be like, this one's mental. This one was so angry. And so we did go through that as well because we weren't really getting any feedback from the channel. We didn't know how they were, if they were enjoying it, yeah. how it was doing really. All you were getting was and confirmation that you're not family guy, which is something you're probably all very aware of. We knew that. We did know that. <laughs> but it was also, not only we're not family guy, we're not funny yeah. is what we were getting yeah. told. And so we were getting no feedback from the outside at all. Yeah. Because there was like no reviews or anything of it. It was just so like it was quite hard, but it was a good thing to experience yeah, early tough. on. But uh, in such a big group, because if that had just been like, oh, I've been given this show early on. Yeah. And then all I got on my own was abuse. And then 
no feedback. And it again, it's really difficult. It's kind of good for each individual because you can l- l- look and go, well, I know for a fact that Tash Dimitriou isn't shit. I know for yeah. a fact that Lolly isn't shit. I know for a fact that Bobby Mayer, like I know all these people aren't shit. Therefore, exactly. I don't have to take this too to heart, yeah, so you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it doesn't have to, I don't have to buy into this and believe it. Yeah, yeah, it really was helpful. And then near the end of the run, we got a, some Guardian review that said like, this is really good. And everyone just decompressed. It's like a bus going yeah. at a stop. Everyone yeah. just went, oh, I can just chill out for a sec. And then obviously it didn't get picked up, which I think no, uh, for a second series, which I think no one was surprised about. Yeah. But that was my earliest one. And given that like, you know, I was one of the sort of five faces of that show. Yeah. And then to be therefore the face of the abuse, as in receiving the yeah. tomatoes thrown yeah. it, it was a bit of a good, it, as I say, in hindsight, a bit of a good thing to have gone through. So that you really are absolute water off a duck's back when that happens on a bigger show like Mock the Week. Yeah. And then my experience was that it didn't really happen yeah. on Mock yeah, the Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Occasionally, so you're it would for that. be. I was prepared for it yeah. and it happened occasionally. And actually, something came out of one bit of, not abuse, but one double bit of feedback I got inspired this whole radio series I did, which was I don't know what the joke was. I wish I could remember what the joke was, but I remember being on Twitter while a Mock the Week episode was on. So literally seeing my at replies live. Yeah. And in the exact same, like, 30 seconds, I got one tweet saying, this is typical left-wing bollocks, like, liberal cuck shite. And one that said, Reese, you are an unfunny Tory boy with a thin nose. <laughs> so, <laughs> thin nose, I mean, think unfair, but I'll take it. But the fact that a joke inspired someone to call me a Tory and at the same yeah. time someone to call me a liberal. I then did this radio series where... Because of that, and because also when I would do Mock the Week, I would intentionally try not to be opinionated. It would always just be angles. Yeah. So often of my writing process for Mock the Week would be someone's done something crazy in the news. Everyone, we're all going to naturally rush to talk about how crazy it is. I'm going to look at why might someone do this and yeah. come up with a funny reason, what the secret funny reason someone might do this is. And then I'm going to try and write a joke of the solution to this problem. Yeah. And I got so much mileage out of doing that and yeah, found it really fun great. rather than going... Oh, yeah, what a twat, because he's got a silly haircut, which isn't what everyone did, but, you know, ends up being the face of some of those shows. And so I ended up writing this radio show where it was just a two-parter, and I was left-wing in one episode, right-wing in the other episode, and it was just stand-up on the same topics, but one from one perspective, one from the opposite perspective. And that was so much fun to write. Yeah. Because... Sometimes as well, there was bits in those episodes where I literally said word for word the same thing in each, but just slightly different tone of voice. Yeah. And then you could just, the fun you could have with it, it was so that. exciting. And also, occasionally in the right-wing episode, there were some jokes you could write that were great fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it was I'd like going back to the sort to of old... this. <laughs> yeah, like the old Frankie Boyle days of while I got why I got into comedy. Yeah. Cheeky, but just like doing it in a sort of... I can't believe I get to say this under this umbrella of... Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing. <laughs> it's what people who say they play a character must feel like, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was... I mean, there's, there's two more things I want to talk about and we're running out of the time. But before we move on... How big a deal was it to get Mock the Week, particularly as people like Frankie had been a big influence on you and inspiration? And Mock the Week was where Frankie, I would argue unfairly, got a lot of his reputation from. Because again, I think Mm. particularly those early days of Mock the Week, people don't realise how considered and intelligent and softly spoken Frankie and his comedy can be because they just remember that he said something absolutely outrageous and it was in the papers the next day kind of thing but because of that like Frankie was the one that got Mock the Week in the press all the time essentially so it must have been a big deal to to become part of that 
Yeah, well, that's what's interesting about it is I think anyone in my generation of comics getting any of those shows, 8 out of 10 Cats and Live the Apollo yeah. and stuff like that is like, we fully wanted to become comedians because of these okay. programs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was an absolute dream come true. I mean, it was a huge, huge deal with the day I got it. I think it was probably the most exciting. It was one of those, it was like, I think it was the most exciting time, moment in my comedy career ever is being told they want you to do this, which mm. date do you want to do? But it was one of those things where like, like anything, you know, this is a performer or whatever, you strive to get stuff, you get it, you feel great for about a minute and then you just go, oh God, I'm going to have to actually fucking do it. Yeah. And then you're just so nervous and anxious yeah. and there's just dread instead of going, oh my God, what if I fuck it up and ruin this thing that I love? And so it was like really exciting. Like, <laughs> oh my God, proper milestone. And then, oh, and also the day I did it, so I was really excited to do it. Oh my God, I've got, I've got a mock of the week. This is huge. Then the day, the one I did it was the day after the Brexit vote. Wow. So we knew the result. So literally it was the one <laughs> of the Brexit result. And the night before, Roy Hodgson had lost to Iceland with England and resigned. And so I was expecting Glastonbury's muddy and the yeah. trains are cancelled. Yeah. And then we go in and it's like, no, this is the biggest. Um, and also when you go on it the first time, you get the, um, you, you get the first line. Right. So if it's, say, it's the round, if this is the answer, what is the question? And it's like 10% or something. Mm. So that you can get a word in guaranteed, the newest person on the show gets to answer right. it first. And then yeah. it's just a free-for-all. Yeah, that's cool. And so I know I'm opening the show with a, the first joke Shit. on this day. The Shit. pressure, you feel crazy. It felt fucking crazy. But it was like, I'm glad it was that episode. Loads of people when I did it, I was on with Rob Beckett and um, Ed Gamble and Gary Delaney, and they all individually made a point of being like, don't worry about it. Here's some things to know. Here's how it works. This whole reputation it had of being, you know, a bear pit. Certainly by the time I was on it, people were like coaching me of how yeah. to do it and how they were all be like, you'll be great. But listen, it's a bit like this. Here's some quirks about the show that it's good to know going in that I know from experience. I got all of that. And then I sort of passed that down as well. But it's mad to me that then you'd read in the press, even still while I was on it, this horrible bear pit of a show, Mock the Week, where the people hate doing. And I was like, yeah. it's like a supportive group of mates now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but... Who just want it to be a fun chat. But as you have highlighted, you are a white male, so um, that yeah. might be a different... <laughs> yeah, that was it. Oh, yeah, sorry, I should say. On the other table, we were throwing stuff <laughs> and saying, don't you dare try and get a word in. How dare you? No, yeah, again, <laughs> I love all that stuff. It's fascinating to to me as, and as I said I, like, it feels like we could talk for hours on end but before we wrap up I want to talk about you're doing the Fringe and touring so what's yeah. kind of what's the plan you've obviously done the Fringe loads of times I adore the Fringe I genuinely try not to talk about the Fringe too much on the podcast just because I've had people moan about every time I have a comedian and I'm like isn't the Fringe gr gr great like what was your worst mm. time up there what's your best time because I think it's just I love the good and the bad of it but um, yeah are you ex ex excited for it or what's the plan this year? Because it's getting tougher and tougher to do the Fringe because of the price of everything. And It is, yeah. Um, fringe memory that just came to mind. Yeah. Watching your show in the Ace Dome. Yes. And you had a line in a poem about meeting this, I think it was a homeless woman, forgive me if that's incorrect, maybe someone, a drug-addicted woman right. who you were trying to help. Yeah. And there was a line in it that was, you took her to McDonald's and you were eating a of cheeseburger and I think the line was something like which weighed about the same as half of her right or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. and when you said that line Ian Sterling squeezed my hand because <laughs> it was we were both just like oh my god I remember that it was that the, that's the one year I did the fringe right and I chose the ace dome because it had a, the best name 
So I'm completely yeah. unprofessional. I'm like, yeah. oh, playing the Ace Dome. I didn't know it was Jack, King, Queen, Ace, all this kind of thing. I was like, the, the sure. Ace Dome sounds ace. Um, and because it had a bar, because I didn't, didn't, because it was spoken word and poetry, I didn't want it to feel pretentious. I wanted one that had a bar and felt more relaxed mm. and all that. I remember just, just, just talking, because the only, one of the only comedians I was pals with at that point was Brett Goldstein. And I remember just talking to him excitedly about, because I'm just the biggest comedy n- n- nerd ever. So every time there were comedians in, I know that my nerves over that whole thing, the time that Brett was in and he complimented some of the jokes I'd written to go in between the poems, right. yeah. that was all that mattered. Like all the all the poems about dr- drug addicts and suicide, easy, easy. I churned, yeah, 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 I churned yeah, them yeah, out right. all day long. The nerves was around the, the brief one-liners I'd written. Again, because of what yeah. we discussed of being a fan <laughs> of these people who craft craft these yeah, jokes and going right well I'm at the fringe so I need to have some comedy in there but yeah love that stuff yeah and I do remember and then you had a what I remember is that you had a merch something that I'm always worried about you had this merch stand after yeah. and you had a massive queue for the merch stand and I was like yeah and that's why I won't have a merch stand is because I, I can't stand there on my own yeah I can't yeah. risk not having that massive queue I remember but, Nick Helm coming up to me and asking me about like how do you have like a merch stand and that then I'm like I just I bought a suitcase of merch and I asked for a table. It's just... Again, it's the difference of coming f- from the music industry versus coming from the, the comedy industry. It's kind of acknowledged now that in the music industry, everyone steals our stuff for free. So we're not going to make any money unless we unless we hustle afterwards. Exactly. So it was right. that, that difference of of outlook. Again, I'm at, I'm at risk of extending things here, but one of the things I did w- w- want to talk to you about was, and it relates to The Fringe because it's the first time I had this thought of it, how do you cope with the the, the banishing of material? Because like it, it would always strike me that I'd go and see these fringe shows, and some of them would be a work of art, but they're not at the level that it's being recorded. Mm. So that all just happened, and then it stops happening. Like next year, you move yeah. on, and coming from music, like we'll keep playing the same songs. Like like we might add some new ones, but we're going to play. People will be annoyed if we don't do the ones we did before. But comedy is the exact opposite of that. You could have this perfect show and then you get to a certain point and you you never perform any of those those jokes again it's such a weird it's interesting because it only feels but it only feels like a perfect show yeah that you've worked hard to build this and now it's this is what it was all for it only feels like that for at most a few months yeah yeah and then you get bored of that so even if you've got to keep doing yeah. it like you know i yeah. did my tour from Effectively from January, I've been on the road and I'll be on the road till the end of the year, really. And maybe even a bit after that. And I got, you know, you work really hard just before the tour starts to go, it's got to be good enough to justify the ticket price. So I'm going to tweak, 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 get to this point, get this ending, get this structure. And then you go and do it. And, you know, first 15 shows, you're like, brilliant, this is so much fun. And then gradually shine comes off certain aspects of it. You realise oh, I'm actually dreading this one routine every day. Yeah. Or like, oh, when I get to this bit, the structure gets a bit muddy and it annoys me and I just do it quickly to get past get it. And then you go, right, yeah. well, edit, 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 tweak, tweak, tweak again. Keep yourself alive. You think of a joke while you're on the road, you slide it in, that makes you excited, all of that sort of stuff. So it doesn't really become a finished show where you're like, damn it, I made it so perfect and now it's just gone. It was. It's frustrating at the time when you're like, when you're newer mm. and you've built an hour and you finish Edinburgh, maybe you do it in Soho Theatre, and then after that, it's sort of done. Yeah. And that's why I think, that's one of the reasons why the sort of YouTube special started to become yeah. a really popular thing. Phil Wang, because oh, I did one in 2015, I recorded my 2015 show and had it on YouTube for a while. I think I don't have it there anymore. But um, 
Phil Wang, I remember saying to me years ago that he was going to film his, I think in 2014. Mm. He filmed it at Downstairs at the King's Head, a comedy club in Crouch End. And he, it was great. And it was like the first one of our generation to bother doing that, I think. Yeah. And it wasn't, it was kind of inexpensive, like it would well, be that, expensive to us again, then, but versus like, now. The reason all this, all this came up, that year I did The Fringe, which was like 2014 or 13 or whatever it was, I did 19 shows with one day off. And it was about 12 shows in that I went, oh, this is never going to be as good as this again. So I got a mate up and we filmed it and we released it yeah. and all this kind of thing. And it was that, we had that plan at that time to go, right, well, we'll come up every year and we'll be a cheap team to film any comedy show just so they're documented right. and they kept... And in the end, we didn't have the experience or any of these other things to, to make that happen. But that was exactly it. It was that kind of... It was that fringe thing of, like, if you're not as driven and and able to get sh- sh- shit done as Wang, to be able to, to to be those people up, they go, oh, we'll film it for you. Like, we'll be the on guys. The cheap, like, like, we'll... Easy production, we'll plug in two cameras well out. those guys do now exist yeah. there's a few different yeah. options yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got now for that so they've made it a lot easier so obviously yeah not everyone can get a Netflix special yeah. which Phil Wang ironically now can yeah, 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 but yeah. it's very difficult to do yeah. and so you and actually often these days you have to pay for it to be filmed yourself and then try and sell it afterwards yeah. so like channels and Netflix aren't commissioning as much as they were but they will acquire so sometimes you've got to take a risk if you th- and like if you want to fund it properly and get these amazing cameras and stuff you got to be again. This speaks to the whole privilege of how difficult things have come to go. You got to have the money to do yeah, it. Yeah, there are some companies that will do it for you cheaper, and they'll pay for it. But and that's obviously a great thing to exist. But yeah, I think that's where it came from. But what I would say is because I'm going to film this show, I'm filming it in September, and I'm doing it at Wilton Music Hall. Yeah, which is just the most beautiful. beautiful. I can't wait yeah, to yeah, do yeah. it. It's such. It's the oldest music hall in England. I think and it's just going to look great. Even if I'm shit, it will look fantastic. Yeah, yeah. just watch it on mute. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> But I won't be doing it. And, I, you know, I might end up just putting that on YouTube for free. But the point is that, like, I'm not doing it and releasing it to say, look at this great show that I made. Shouldn't that exist forever? I'd be releasing it to say, come to the next one. Mm. Because comedy is all about in the room. Yeah. Think about how much you laugh if you watch a Netflix special. You kind of exhale through your nose a few times. Yeah. But the same show in a room, watching it live, you would laugh out loud, you'd barely laugh. I completely it's a live agree. experience. Comedy. I completely agree. Like with even with Netflix specials, I'll only watch them if I can get my brother around or a, f- a, a few mates right. around to get some to kind experience. of close to that. And again, it's still not anywhere near being in the room, but just watching it on my own, it's so dry. Like there's been shows that I thought, oh, that wasn't that good. And then I'm thinking about j- jokes from it for weeks after. I like, know oh, it was good. It's just, yeah, I wasn't watching it in the right way in, well, in also, the media it's kind of insane to isn't it to, yeah. to sit there on your own going ha 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 ha, ha. Uh, you just uh, feel slightly <laughs> mad yeah, yeah. so you you don't bother but yeah that's so they are I think they're really the best way to look at it is that they're kind of adverts for the yeah. next live experience to yeah. go if you'd come to that it would have been like this yeah but you didn't so come to the so next one, to one and see what that's like so that's why I'll be doing it I think and I think that probably is what everyone's attitude is really yeah. to these. I'm saying that as if like, and that's why I do it. Yeah. I think that's probably pretty universal in comedy of like, no, no, I just want to record it so that I can say, here's a little teaser of what to expect. My tickets are on sale for the new one. None of these jokes are in it. Yeah. Come along. Yeah. yeah They're yeah, just yeah, little yeah, trailers, yeah. basically. Yeah. I love it. Well, to wrap things up, where can people keep up to date with with your fringe shows and your touring in general? Oh, yeah, just my website, reesejames.co.uk, has all the dates. I think I'm back on the road in, like, September, doing a week in Edinburgh in August. 
And then, you know, I'll just, I'll just keep doing this show for as long as people will buy tickets because it's really hard to write a new one. <laughs> it takes ages. Yeah. So as much, <laughs> as many sales as I can wring out of this one, I'll keep doing it. It's weird, Edinburgh, because it feels like the biggest change I've seen with how hard it is to put on shows up there and how much money you have to have is so many people I've seen seem to be doing a week rather than yeah. the full run. So, which sounds like it's a good thing, but it means from a punter's point of view, it's really hard to get to see all the people you want because it's like these weeks course, might yeah. not cross over it. Unless, you're, unless you unless you live there, then, you know, you have to really time your visit because it's like, right, who's... You like have the, the board with all the red string and stuff trying to figure out who, yeah, who yeah. crosses over <laughs> yeah. the most. This is the optimum week to be there, but yeah. Well, luckily, I'm probably coming to the the nearest town to anyone. Yeah, so yeah. if you don't want to come in Edinburgh, don't worry. I'm coming to Horsham. So I'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, mate, I appreciate the time. Um, uh, we didn't talk m- m- massively about fit and proper, but I adored coming on and sh- and chatting with oh, you guys on that. So I recommend people go and 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 listen to that. The basic concept is the guest gets to take over a football club of their choice. And then it's up to them all the changes that they want to make. But I yes, would say it's one it's of not... it's one of the many now football podcasts that aren't necessarily about football, like Athletic Very rarely is it and like the based. the socially distanced sports bar and things like that. It's like yeah. if, if you're put off by the fact it sounds sports orientated, don't be put off because it's uh, it's yeah it's yeah. A joy. Just an example, um, if you don't want to be put off, is um, the Scroobius Pit took over Millwall. And before you knew it, the kits were those sequins like cushions where if you rub them one way, they're one design. And if you rub them the other, they're another. <laughs> yeah. It's not particularly football-based. Uh, we ended up with a basically a pride special to do with Millwall. That, that was my favourite addition. And that was something I hadn't n- n- noted. But I've genuinely, over there, I've got one of those pillows that one yeah. way it's a black <laughs> pillow and the other way it's, it's, it's Dwight Schrute from The Office with ham on his face. <laughs> So absolutely inspired. Well, look at this. Moment. As you mentioned that, right? I'm in my shed. This is a piece of a piece of art. So there's this artist who yes. does these arts that are color palettes, and there'll be like all the reds on um, in like Renoir paintings, lips, the women's yeah. lips. And we have one of those that's like I think it's all the blues of Hockney pools, and it yeah. makes these color chart things. They're really cool. We have one in the house, and then my girlfriend made me this one which is all the mustards of Dwight Schrute shirts yes. in the office. And it's just a colour chart of browns and mustards. Beautiful. Absolute <laughs> perfection. I love it. Well, thank you for taking the time, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a dream come true, as you know. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Reese James. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that. I thoroughly enjoyed that a couple of days after we recorded this and we talked about advertising and we were like, look, there's certain things you wouldn't do, but then if it's like social media plugs or whatever now, yeah, inject it into my veins. And then a couple of days later I went on Instagram and Reese has got a great little partnership going on there with Slazenger. So um, yeah, check that out. Some wonderful clothes, some wonderful fits. And go and catch Reese on tour. And check out the Fit and Proper podcast. Start with my episode, as you know who I am. If you're here, you probably know who I am. So that's a good place to start. And then dig deep. They've had some amazing guests and uh, yeah, they're cracking. Anyway, 
I will talk to you all next week. Next week, I've got a huge guest. It's the first in-person one I've done in a while, really, in years, other than than the drunk casts, I guess. But I couldn't not do this one in person because it's, oh, it's a huge one. They are part of one of my, two of my favourite film franchises. Yeah, just take my word. It's a goodie. So I've teased you enough. If you're on Patreon, you already know who it is because I shared a little photo there, a little sneak preview. So if you want to head over to patreon.com forward slash Rubius Pip, then you can get the little previews in there already. But yeah, otherwise just tune in next week. It's free. It don't cost you a thing. I'll see you then. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.